It's no secret that things are happening in the world right now that are just crazy. Just they seem like they're out of control. And you have to ask the question sometimes, what in the world is God up to? What is he doing? Why does it seem like his plan is so relatively unclear? Wouldn't it be great if someone could answer all those questions for us? Fortunately, we found her. Uh, her name is Lori Pullett Short. She is a popular speaker, author, and part of the teaching team at Ocean Hills Covenant Church in Santa Barbara, California, graduate from Fuller Theological Seminary, has shared the gospel and spoken to more than half a million people at conferences and colleges and churches all across the country. She's been focused on a number of different uh, projects and programs, but today we're going to talk about her most recent book that takes a look at faith, doubt, and God's mysterious timing 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works, Especially When the World Makes It Look Like God Doesn't Have Control of Things. Lori Pullett-Short, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much, Roger. I'm not sure I can answer all of those questions no? today, but we will <laughs> give it a shot for sure. Well, and I guess that's all we can do. It's the uh, the old line, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I think sometimes, though, more and more, we we as Christians are kind of losing our way with that. And I, I get the sense that part of the reason why you felt compelled to write this book was uh, to kind of help us understand that it's it's not about individual situations per se, but it's just trust. What was it Max Licato used to say? When you can't touch God's hand, trust his heart. Um, yeah. talk, let's yeah. talk about that. Let, let's talk about the fact that for as much as we like to think we're people of faith, oftentimes we look at the world in a temporal eye and we don't think that there's more going on than what we can see. Talk that's about why that's absolutely true. And the whole premise of the book is Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and Amen. certain of what you do not see. And there are so many things that we do not see. And it's especially hard when what we do see seems to contradict our belief. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wrote this book is because I discovered that there are a lot of people in scripture that went through the very same things we do. Hmm. And I think we only hear the parts of their stories that make them sound so heroic. Of and course. why isn't my life like that? And mm -hmm. why don't I part seas? And how come I don't, you know, have a child when I'm 190? And all these <laughs> miracles that we tend to focus on, rightly so, on Sunday morning. We don't always look at the parts of their stories where they lived some of the mysteries that we're living here and now in this culture. And so what I try to do is provide a spiritual compass in this book with some insights that I uncovered from their lives and their stories. And of course, my own story now being a little bit older and being able to look back and see so much more of what God was doing when I had no idea what was going on or how one story you think is one thing ends up mm -hmm. being another thing altogether. And I do believe that God gives us clues. And if we tune in, we can see, but it takes a little bit of uh, a lens shift, shall we say, to be yeah. able to see some of the things that he is doing. Lori Pullett Short is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and her new book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. And again, this is not a Christian how-to book that if you follow these 30 insights, your life is going to be perfect but rather more written from a reflective point of view, which I think is very helpful. And, and one of the things that you do write about in the book, Lori, is the fact that we live by the clock. I mean, I'm celebrating 40 years in broadcasting, and my whole world is predicated by calendars and schedules and stopwatches and things of that nature. And one of the things I really hate 
and I'm married to a woman who hates it more than I do, which is kind of, <laughs> if we're driving somewhere and we wind up, you know, maybe making a turn that wasn't on the GPS or whatever, and it makes our journey go a little bit longer, it really sets Lisa off because she's like, I like to be direct. I want to go from point A to point B. I don't want to waste any time. How many of Christians do you come in contact with, Lori, that are, are living under that delusion that well, they've lost time and they can never make it back up again? It's so true. And what I have discovered is that the God stories, the things that we actually end up talking about in our lives, are usually the diversions or the things that happen when we think it's too late or it mm -hmm. just feels like it's not ever going to happen. I think that you know, we think of too late as too late, but God thinks of too late as his time to shine. It's when we come to the end of ourselves that he begins. But again, you know, none of us like that feeling of, like you described, living in, in a way that we're not in control. And that's what God asks us to do. And I think that the reason is because this is a relationship we're talking about, not a right. set of principles that we follow. God says, no, 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 follow me. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you, which means sometimes you might be focused on one door that you'd like to see open, and he might be opening another door, but that door could lead to another door, which leads to another door, which <laughs> actually yeah. might lead to the door you want, but it's just mm -hmm. a different route. And there are reasons for that route. That I think as you get older and you've been walking with God longer, you look back and you see all that he was doing in those mm -hmm. apparent diversions that mm -hmm. seemed like it was a waste of time. It actually wasn't. And I think we see examples of that throughout scripture. You know, it's interesting, Lori, as we were you're just talking about, the, you know, how God will open the door that has more doors, you know, that kind of uh, the Petrushka doll or whatever it is, where it just kind of keeps better and better. And I know the big sin that I am guilty of, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners fall in this category, too, is God is opening like one of those big warehouse doors that rolls all the way up, you know, where you can see it. It's so obvious. Maybe you weren't looking for it. And I find the smallest little window and say, well, that'll open. I mean, that, that'll that work, right? Can, I can kind of fit through there, can I, God? And God's just looking at me, giving me sight. I said, what are you doing? What are, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. It's interesting how counterintuitive a lot of these principles are that you write about in your book, Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. Was this in Bible study? Was it just, you know, I've got a laundry list of things in my journal that I look back on now and see where God did this? How much of this is personal experience and how much of this was God saying, hey, this is the book I want you to write? You know, it. I think I couldn't have written this book except getting a little bit older and being able to see more. And I fought for the title Mysterious Timing. I think the mm -hmm. publisher would like would have liked originally to call it God's Good Timing, yes. which we, of course, know in retrospect. But while we're living it, it sure feels like a big mystery. And I wanted this book to be for those people that have struggled in the middle of a long unanswered prayer or a feeling like, why am I here at this place in my life? Or why am I not seeing this happen? Which I think is so much of our journey. We live that way. And what's helpful about the insights that we get from scripture is it helps us survive, not only survive those times, but begin to look for what God is doing, not just what he isn't doing during mm. those seasons. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what we're generally focused on. When we have a prayer, we want to see answered and we're looking at that and God's going, well, I'm, I actually have this other plan over here for you mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And because our lives 
are not our own. If we belong to Jesus, you know, we're living the life that God has for us, which is going to touch other people. So a lot of what we go through is for the sake of others. And, and knowing that kind of gives us a sense of courage a little bit to, okay, I can live this because I know that what I'm going through right now is going to touch somebody else. I know right. God has a plan for this. This isn't just a waste or he's forgotten me or he doesn't know what I'm up against right now. No, he does. He knows all of it. And he has a plan for what's happening here and now. And I think that can be so helpful. Um, you know, I, I start the book with Job, who I think is the person we know is the one who suffers the most. <laughs> yeah. And also he's the first really in the Old Testament to suffer not by consequential consequential means. In other words, he was suffering because he was good. And right. he doesn't even know why he's suffering ever. The whole book we know because we've read the first chapter that this whole thing is a dialogue between God and Satan and essentially a bet that God bets on Job. God is on Job's side. God isn't in the circumstances against Job. And so often we feel that when we're in the midst of this, why is God doing this to me? No, actually God is with you over and against your circumstances. Hmm. And he, it, and that's what Job discovers. But you know, I love the fact that the whole book is him screaming and yelling yeah. to the sky. Cause I've done that before. Right. And, and the way his shift happens is that God takes him on a world tour. He doesn't even tell him why he suffered. I I often wonder that. Why didn't you just tell him that this is the reason that would have helped him so much, but God takes him on a world tour and shows him how big the world is. And when Job sees all that's happening at any given moment, which I think is so helpful for us when we're focused on our own circumstances to get outside of ourselves and begin to look around at all of life that's happening around us. And that perspective shift helped him get to the place where he repented, which is really interesting because he says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand things mm. too wonderful for me to know. Mm -hmm. And do you think he even imagined that we'd be talking about him today? That's what's <laughs> right. so incredible is that our stories are for more than just us. And they're for, after we're gone, the the lives that will be touched because millions of people have been blessed and touched by his story because of what he went through. And so I think we always have to realize that God has a purpose and sometimes it's going to be hard. He's going to be with us in it, but he's going to use it in other people's lives. Boy, this is great counsel from Lori Pullett Short today here on The Bottom Line, the book with the controversial title. Can we say that? Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. 
Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Lori Pullett Short is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. If you're listening on The Bottom Line Show Terrestrial Radio, on the podcast, or if you're watching our conversation at myhopenow.com, uh, you could see how bright and enthusiastic Lori is, especially with a tough topic. And uh, I'm grateful that the joy of the Lord is all over the place because who among us has not said, God, why? What, what are you doing? I don't get it. I don't understand. I, I'll be perfectly frank. Last week, I was having that I don't understand in tears moment about something very, very important to me. Getting emotional about it, just thinking about it. Yeah. And God spoke to me in that moment, you know, about, okay, this is a, it's a hard road you're on, but trust me, I'm doing a greater work and it's not just about you. It's about everyone. And this brand new book, God's Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works is, is so helpful because you give language, Lori, to a lot of what we deal with as Christians all the time. And we ask questions like, well, wait a minute. For example, I was part of a church community for how many years? And then it kind of blew up. And all of a sudden, I'm looking around saying, God, where are you? You, you actually have a chapter in here where you talk about encouraging people to find compass or find your compass in community. Talk about why that's so important. I think a lot of people just take for granted. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to church. My community is, they're all telling the truth and not realizing that that may not be the case. You know, I think, first of all, just to respond to what you said about what you've been through, Roger, I hope that this book will be read devotionally in a way, mm -hmm. because it's, it's a book you live in um, instead of just read from cover to cover. It's a book that I think will uncover some things in your own life that you can interact with and hopefully grow in your faith and your trust because of what you see in your own life. But community is so essential to us. But exactly what you said, the kind of community we have is really important. And one of the stories that I illustrate are a, a contrast of communities, the community that came out of Egypt, saw the Red Sea part, then they're in the desert and they're starting to complain and wonder where God is a month and yep. a half later. So instead of singing the songs that Miriam started with, like all about the, the sea parting and how God was faithful just a month before, now suddenly they're looking at their circumstances and they're losing hope, which is so often what we do because we forget on Monday morning what we just worshiped on Sunday. Right. Right. We're forgetful people. So we need that community but the kind of people we are around are going to shape the faith that we have. And yes. I think for them, you know, just encouraging each other to basically look at their circumstances. And now what are we going to do? And if only we could go back to Egypt. I mean, it's so funny that they would say that they forget the part that they were slaves hmm. and they remember the meat that they ate while right. they were slaves, you know? Yeah. So what do we remember as a community? How are you being encouraged by the people around you? And I contrast that with the community in Acts. They were getting arrested. They were getting in trouble. They were getting persecuted, hung upside down in jail. But they kept coming together and encouraging each other through scripture and worship, which is what the church is supposed to be. Yeah. And when you're not seeing God in your own story, there's no better place to go than somewhere where you're going to see God at work in other people's story. And just mm -hmm. remember that you're in that season right now, but God will be faithful. And I think we need each other to help each other through. 
You know, it's interesting you say that. I'm talking with Lori Pulich short today here on the bottom line about her book, Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. It's got nothing but five stars up at uh, Amazon, and we've got the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's interesting, as you were talking about the community, I was thinking about a woman who's become a friend of mine, uh, Laura Laura Beth Perry, who's now Laura Perry Smaltz, and uh, she lived was living in the transgender community for a while. And uh, when she turned 18, decided she didn't want to be Laura, she wanted to be Jake, and she started taking testosterone and, you know, left her church, left her family, let, you know, just kind of left everyone in tears. And I, I asked her what brought you back, and she was talking about her mom's Bible study, and Laura was working in IT at the time, and so her mom's got the great idea, hey, you know what, We are, my small group needs a website, so can you design it for me? And can you upload these Bible studies, and these sermons, and God started, you know, revealing himself to her through them. But she said, it occurred to me when I decided to detransition that the reason I wanted to become a man when I was born a woman so badly was that everybody else around me was transgender. Mm -hmm. And I stopped listening to good counsel, you know, and the only people who were telling me the truth about my situation were the Christians, you know, and it was like when the God opened up my ears and said, hey, wait a minute, you know, she found compass in her real community. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to have people who will tell you the truth, not that it's always going to be easy peasy. I mean, you've got yeah. a, a chapter in the book about how God is in the hard. And yeah. I love that. I can almost hear Tom Hanks at a league of their own saying, it's the hard that makes it great. You know, but <laughs> but right. this is th that's so often our kind of American brains say, well, if you're with the Lord, then you get the perfect job and the perfect spouse and the perfect oh. house and whatever. And you and I could go on for days about any one of those not being perfect. Talk about why it's important for us as Christians to understand that God's mysterious timing often means, okay, look, if you're going through a tough situation, God, it's not like God abandoned you there. Well, let's think about this, Roger. What do, what, what do people resonate with the most in your life is your struggle. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't even have anything to say if we didn't right. struggle. I mean, right. you know, my long story of not getting married till I was 49 and going through so much heartbreak. Honestly, God has used that so much in my life for other people that have experienced that same heartbreak. And so yeah. when we see how powerfully those painful and hard seasons are and how they make the good so much better, I mean, it's almost like they both go together. This, this idea of suffering and joy being together, they're all, they're two halves of the same truth, really, that we wouldn't know one without the other. And I really feel like it's the suffering that builds our character. Yes. It's what builds our faith. Mm -hmm. It's what helps us realize we don't serve a Santa Claus God who gives <laughs> us everything we want. We serve the yeah. living God who has bigger plans for our life than we have for ourselves. And if we really believe in this God and want to live for this God, then we're willing to go to the places that, I mean, you know, you think about Peter, what happened at the end of, well, after his, the end, towards the end of his life, but when Jesus came back, you know, he had just denied him mm -hmm. three times. Mm -hmm. And then he has this wonderful reinstatement with Jesus asking him three times if he loved him. And then he tells them, you're going to be led where you do not want to go. Follow me. And, you know, I'm like, gosh, that's not great news. I love Peter's <laughs> response goes, John walks by and he goes, well, what about him? You know, and that's so often what we do. But I think that when when God is taking us to a more mature faith, and this makes sense, we do this in parenting, it means you're not going to get everything you want because right. God has something bigger in mind. He wants to build your maturity. He wants to build your character. He wants you to be used in other people's lives. And so our willingness to go where he's gone himself, 
I think is our saying yes to a bigger life. Yeah. And and being willing to hear Jesus saying, what is that to you? Yeah. I mean, this is, this yeah. is you and me right yeah. here. You, right. you walked on water, you know, upon your testimony, I'm building my church. Don't worry about John. Oh, exactly. You worry, you worry about you. You you got a tough enough road to go. But thank you for sharing the fact, the, the bringing up the fact that oftentimes we forget. Take the last sixty seconds and kind of embellish on this, if you would. That what we're going through and the faith journey that we're on right now is part of a bigger story for us, but also for the church. I mean, for the kingdom of God for eternity. Well, let me just say one quick last thing, and that is, look at Paul. Spent most of his ministry in prison going, why can't I be out there visiting the churches? Why can't I be? Ugh, I'll, I guess I'll just do what I can do. I guess I'll just write letters. Yeah. But I wish I could be out there making a bigger impact. Mm. I'm I'm sure in his mind, he had no idea that the letters he wrote where, where he was, where he didn't want to be, were going to be the biggest reach of his ministry. So we have no idea what God will use. And I think that can be so inspiring to us when we're in a place where we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through, because God might use it most powerfully in your life. Boy, that is great wisdom and fabulous insight from Lori Pullett Short. We just scratched the surface on this new book, which is why you need to go to thebottomlineshow.com and hit the link for it. Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. There's a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. As I mentioned, Lori, where do we find you on, uh, on online, on social media? How do we connect with you? Yes. Well, go to my website, laurieshort.com, or or an Instagram or Facebook, Lori P. Short. And I would love to connect with you. Excellent. We look forward to sending uh, thousands of Bottom Line Show listeners there and to get connected with you. Lori, thank you so much for the time today. And thanks for being with us here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. This is such a powerful book. And I can't think of a better time for a book like this to drop, as they say, and to help those of us, especially in the body of Christ, come to grips with doubt, faith, and just understanding how God works in our culture. The new book by Lori Pulich Short is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book to give away right now. Kind of a special, uh, we're not doing Movie Monday per se today here, but we are giving stuff away too. Uh, give Crystal a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy of the book by Lori Short called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue Let's get into this why God, why question that a lot of people have been asking in our culture for generations and how today, the holiday, federal holiday of Juneteenth, can actually help us understand not only why people have asked these questions, but how God answers them in his perfect timing. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. 
That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. My thanks again to Lori Pulich Short, the author of the brand new book called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today here on Juneteenth. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Imagine being a person of faith who's also an African-American who is descended from people who were part of the slave trade, as it were, and the founding of our nation. You look at a holiday like the 4th of July, and you see people celebrating it. Independence Day, isn't this great? This is wonderful. And let's think back what it was like. It's July 4th, 1776, and we really stuck it to the King of England, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at your family story and go, well, wait a minute. My family were enslaved back then. And though we haven't been enslaved for over 100 years, that's a part of our story. This past uh, couple weeks ago on Friday, June the 9th, uh, my sister wrote a really nice tribute on social media to my mom about for her 90th birthday. And of course, yesterday we celebrated my dad's 90th birthday, and that was cool too. But mom's family history, uh, her dad immigrated from Scotland, had this you know bright chipper way about him, James Edward, sparkling blue eyes. He was just a, just a dapper lad. And he met um, Mabel, uh, well, actually his daughter, Mabel uh, Benilius, or Edwards, uh, met a guy named Homer Benilius. And Homer's family uh, came from... Uh, well, California, they, the story was they immigrated from Mexico, but they had Spanish descent. But quite frankly, they were in the Rancho Cucamonga area. And if you know the way that worked, you know, you went to bed one day in 1846 and you were in Mexico and you woke up the next morning, you're in California. Congratulations. So, I mean, there was a lot of that going on. But imagine being somebody who looks at the 4th of July and say, well, that's a good day for fireworks and, you know, hot dogs and parades and stuff like that. But I really don't feel the same about the celebration because when you celebrate what was happening on July 4, 1776, that wasn't good for me and my family. But then you talk about Juneteenth, uh, June 19, 1865. That was the day the slaves in Texas were the last slaves in the United States to hear about the Emancipation Proclamation, the fact that the Civil War had ended, and that they were in fact free. Can you imagine living a certain way for years and years and years and years, and you're free, but no one told you, and you didn't know? You know where I'm going with that, and we'll do that on the other side of this break because it does sound like your life in Christ and your life before you were in Christ. But, uh, you know, God's timing is mysterious. His ways are wonderful, and, and we can acknowledge hurts of the past. We can acknowledge misdeeds and even some misdeeds that were done in the name of God. But we can see the forgiveness and the healing and the mercy and the compassion come through, and you begin to understand the heart of God a lot better when you see the way he has worked in areas like this one. Uh, pick up a copy of Lori Pulich Short's book, Faith Down in God's Mysterious Timing, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line to win one. On the other side of this break, yeah, we're going to unpack my sermon illustration and talk about why today is a federal holiday. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues.
Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to a special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, special edition, of course, because today is a federal holiday. Today is the day we celebrate Juneteenth, and it's a day of great celebration for people in the African-American community, for sure. It's also a day of great confusion for people in just about every other pocket of the United States that are saying, Juneteenth, what the heck is this? Is this the Black Independence Day? Or I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And then we do, typically, I mean, we have a tendency to do, this is what sinful fallen people do. When something comes your way that you thought you understood, and then you learn more about it, sometimes you can get a little defensive. Been there, done that, bought the shirt. Matter of fact, bought the shirt and wore the shirt while I was telling people that I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, but when it comes to Juneteenth, I think there's some harmony here. If we don't get too hung up on the territorial part, first of all, let's all take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, deep breath. <sighs> Got the deep, good. That, is that a good deep breath for you? I, I, I hope so. Uh, part of the reason for the deep breath is so we can all just, you know, a little cleansing breath. Let's get things, you know, started off on the right foot. But secondly, then let's take a look at why the holiday of Juneteenth not only is important, but I think if we're really going to celebrate our faith in Christ and the deliverance that we have, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that our Heavenly Father provides for us eternally, and we catch a glimpse of that with life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness here in the temporal world, then we win. I mean, everybody wins. And that's the name of the game, right? The name of the game is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all Americans. So here's one that it's real easy to just when we start this off, okay? When we start off and we know that slavery has been, you know, interwoven into the fabric of the United States ever since the founding of and prior to the founding of. Now, there are those who would go so far as to say, and every person with white skin is racist, and every person with dark skin was in, in slavery, and therefore white people are just inherently bad, and that's where the systemic racism is. That's a huge leap. When people talk about critical race theory, unfortunately, that's one of the pillars. So if you see people jumping up and down going, I don't like CRT, well, and others are going, we don't teach CRT, that's not what we teach. I mean, if you, if you see the bias in there, if you're going to call it one way, you've got to call it the other. Does racism exist? Of course it does. In every culture, every tribe and tongue, all over the world, there are some people of one group that don't like some people of another group, and some people from a third group think that they're superior to the other two, and you get the racism that we still see playing out today. There's a certain fear behind that. I like the fact that I'm a part of the group that's special. There's a certain uh, empowered victimhood that comes along with be always being able to say, I'm being held back. I mean, if we really want to get something properly done, I watched this really fascinating video over the weekend. It's a doctor, and he was talking about sickness centers. And I'm like, what are you talking about sickness centers? It doesn't make any sense. And then I realized he was talking about what we call healthcare centers, and he calls them sickness centers. And I thought, well, why would someone do something like that? And then he explained himself. He said, look, if I told you that you ate half a grapefruit for breakfast every day, it would improve, it would lower your blood pressure and improve your blood flow. Would you do it? Well, yeah. But are you taking high blood pressure medication? Well, of course I have to, I have high blood pressure. I know, but if there's a solution, well, sure, I would do that. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Grapefruit's very tasty. Well, what if you told the doctor though, these people could just go to the store and buy a grapefruit and they don't have to take your medicine. Well, now, wait a minute. That might be a problem for the pharmaceutical industry. Now, wouldn't it? 
Now, that's one example, and it's easy for an outlier like me to kind of poke holes in the veneer and say, hey, the emperor's naked, and pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But you have to ask the question when it comes to things like, you know, social justice issues and stuff like that, how much of what we see as far as the tension going is people who have a vested interest in keeping the tension going? I mean, when you look at the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars that the Black Lives Matter group raised from about three years ago until right now with George Floyd, Armand Arbery, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got Breonna Taylor's family saying, hey, wait a minute, you guys have been fundraising off of our girl. We've never met you. And what police reforms have you passed? There, there's a change in the no-knock entry deal. Well, in Breonna Taylor's case, you could, I mean, you could read the case history. She'd had a history involved in the drug world. I mean, the story, the narrative, the media picked up on, here's a girl in her late 20s. She's going to nursing school. She moved in to help her mom. She was, you know, asleep in bed and some police officer came to serve a warrant at the wrong house and shot and killed her while she was lying in bed. That would be a horrible story if it really happened. She was in fact shot and killed by a police officer. It was a stray bullet and the police officers were returning fire for the boyfriend of hers or ex-boyfriend who was in the home, who they did have a warrant for him. And he opened fire before they did. They opened fire and stray bullet went through and killed her. It's tragic that she died. But then, so what? We changed one law and now racism's over? I mean, there were more charges that the left were calling for, but the district attorney of the Commonwealth of Kentucky chose not to file the charges. Would you be surprised to learn that Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Commonwealth of Kentucky is African-American. I mean, if anybody was going to make a name for himself in that moment, that was his moment to shine. And he looked at the evidence and said, here's what I see. They changed the no-knock warrant serving process, and that's fine. But all the rest of it, we're not bringing charges against these guys because there are no charges to bring. He's now the leading contender to become the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and maybe for a good reason. And the dude's like 35 years old. But when you get right down to this and this whole issue, good, honest communication is key. What happened at the founding of our nation? What happened when the clergy decided the slave trade was valuable to farmers and were actually complicit in keeping people enslaved? What happens? There's a, a African-American conservative commentator who's on another network right now who's got a video out. He goes, hey, did you know that Harriet Tubman's husband was a free man? And hey, did you know this? Well, hey, sir, did you know that it was common back in the day to take a family and split them up like that? We'll keep dad here on the plantation and we'll release mom. Let the kids go free. What does that do to the family? I mean, even in biblical times, when people sold themselves into slavery, this kind of indentured, it wasn't a slave trade per se. You know, the the families stayed together. But the idea, and, and then the idea that the Emancipation Proclamation happened, let's see, Constitution ratified in 1787, Emancipation Proclamation in September of 1862. Well, gosh, guys, it only took us 90 years to figure this thing out that 20% of the population was still living in bondage. And then, once the Emancipation Proclamation was officially read and adopted January 1st, 1863, how many more years did it take to get us the 13th and 14th Amendments? It was June 19th, 1865, when the final slaves in Texas heard that two and a half years earlier, they had been freed. 
Don't you think that's worth celebrating? I think it should be kind of a kind of a celebration and also a mourning all at the same time. A wake abrasion or something like that. I, I don't know what, if the, what the proper word would be. But the idea that people who were living in slavery that didn't have to live in slavery, and then once slavery was actually overturned, and by June 19th, 1865, then it became you know illegal, of course, to own slaves. So what did the people who used to own slaves do? Oh, no, we're going to have a revolt. What are we going to do? Well, so they start passing the Jim Crow laws. Just little things. I mean, this is my favorite one with, during election season. When you and I go to vote, we register to vote because here in the People's Republic of California, we are registered to vote. If we want to do anything involving the Department of Motor Vehicles, we have to register to vote. Okay, so, but let's, you just click off some boxes. Anybody could. You could have your kid do it or your spouse do it for all they know. They know your information. But imagine being an African-American in Alabama and during the 1950s and you go in to vote and they ask you your birth date and instead of just saying my birth date September 1st 1961 well you wouldn't have said that in 1950 now would you uh, they say what time were you born what hospital were you born what city is that in what county is that in what street is that on and if you don't have everything down to the minute and the second they'll say sorry you're not a truthful witness you're not qualified to vote recite from memory the preamble of the Constitution, ma'am, who is illiterate. Uh, I mean, that's why the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that's why the Voting Rights Act of 1965, that's why they were enacted to level the playing field. See, the thing about Juneteenth that makes perfect sense to me is to say, look, on July 4th, 1776, America as a nation, the 13 colonies declared their independence. In order to form a more perfect union, to declare independence from England. Okay, that's fine. But in turn, that's on the macro. Micro on the inside, 80% of the population were free and 20% were not. So declaring your independence and using terms like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we hold these truths to be self-evident and the inalienable rights endowed by our creator, except for you, you know, except for them. Juneteenth, 90 years later, is the opportunity for us to get it right, to say, okay, now this applies to everyone. And that's why I think everyone can celebrate both holidays. I know there are people who are saying, oh, that, that, that's the real holiday, Juneteenth, June 19th, that, that, that's the real holiday. And we don't care about July 4th. No, I mean, July 4th is macro, June 19th is micro. And the two together, we finally get it right. Um, we're going to take a quick break here and to commemorate Juneteenth, going to revisit a conversation I had not too long ago with pastor and author John Onwachekwa. If you are in a situation where you're looking at the meaning of life and the purpose of life, uh, John does this through reflections from the book of Ecclesiastes in a powerful uh, writing called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John Onwachekwa joins us next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds 
per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, special guest joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show for a conversation about something that is a question that a lot of people have been asking of late, but it's not often you find a resource that actually deals with this question about finding purpose in life uh, in a way that this book has uh, been laid out to. Uh, Joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show is Pastor John Anwuchekwa, who is teaching pastor of Cornerstone Church in one of Atlanta's oldest inner city neighborhoods. He certainly currently serves as a council associate for the Gospel Coalition as well. He's the author of this brand new book called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Joys, uh, Sorrows and Joys. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John Anwochekwa, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thanks, man. Glad to be here. It's good to have you here, and I, I'll get this out of the way right off the bat. Your last name is like every Scrabble player's dream, so thank you for being patient with me as I've, as I've learned how to, to to pronounce this properly. Let's talk about this book. I mean, the, the, the phrase we go on obviously is, has some kind of meaning for you. What, what exactly is the purpose behind using a phrase like that to help us uh, discover what we're all looking for was what is our purpose in life, especially when a life can be filled with so much sorrow as well as so much joy? Yeah, so I do feel like um, the tough thing about life, as we all have come to uh, learn, is that um, none of our, uh, nobody gets to live the life of their dreams, right, in some way, shape, or form. uh, Nothing in life is all that we thought it would be, and I think so many times when we're caught up in heartache and trial and disaster, we look for the finish line. And our hope is, when is it going to be done? And I think the title of the book really comes from the fact that um, hope isn't found in any circumstantial finish line. I think hope is found in the ability to move forward, right? So the purpose of the book is not to help anybody arrive at a finish line. It's to help those who feel stuck after the most unimaginable things take place. It's to help them move forward. And if we can take that next step and continue to go on together, then that's where we find a sense of purpose moving forward. And that's interesting because using that uh, that metaphor, if you will, and thinking about going on and how many times the, that we are tempted when we are trying to find meaning and purpose in life, if things don't go our way or we're knocked sideways or whatever, the tendency is to say, I need to just kind of hold steady right now. I'm not going right. to keep going on I'm gonna, at, 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 until I get my bearings. But then right. how easy it is for us to say, okay, well, I've got my footing here, so maybe God wants me to go on, but I'm just going to make this you know, my spot for a while. Uh, you talk right. about in this book, we go on, that a lot of times people are wind up frustrated because they're trying to find meaning and purpose in their life in things that are really temporary. Talk about why right. it's important to think about you know, the perspective of 
what here is temporary, what is eternal, what is going to make a difference in the lives of other people after we're gone? Yeah, so I think the most eye-opening part of that, that uh, was this. I felt like um, seven years ago this month, I lost my brother suddenly and quickly. And mm. I was in a space where I just felt like as a result of losing everything, life was just meaningless, meaningless. And I thought sure. the solution was gaining back some of what I lost. And I realized that my joy was tethered to circumstances when I picked up the book of Ecclesiastes. Right. And I read a guy who, uh, he arrived at the same place I did, but it wasn't because he lost every temporal thing, but he gained it all. So he got it all and said, meaningless, meaningless. I felt like I lost it all when I said the same thing. And the only thing I think we both had in common was that our joy was tethered to temporary circumstances. And where it's tied, I think you're always going to find yourself in despair or having a reason to despair um, that we only really truly find or enjoy purpose in and through the temporary things, when we kind of take those scissors and untether our joy from the circumstances that surround us. So mm. That's yeah. helpful and powerful. Pastor and author John Onwuchekwa yeah. is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, you are pastoring in an area of the United States right now, Pastor John, where a lot of people have asked that question for generations, not just because of the last two years of uh, uh, COVID yeah. or maybe because of the current inflationary struggles that we're going through, or even with the war that's happening right now uh, with between Russia and Ukraine, but talking about generationally, how uh, facing struggle, facing way more sorrow than joy, and then still having faith in God. Talk about how that informs someone's faith, especially when you present it, this, this uh, hypothesis, if you will, to people who, who don't know that kind of struggling, that kind of sorrow. Right. That kind of, what's it, I mean, I, what kind of vibe do you have in your church when you took over, when, as you're there, you know, preaching this kind of message? What, what, I'm sure the reaction is a lot different at your church than it would be, say, in my church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we found, or that I found, is that people who find themselves undergoing deep sorrow um, on a continual basis are often better prepared to hear about um, the hope of a world to come and that they aren't mm -hmm. as blinded uh, by the shallow substitutes that are provided yes. in and through life, right? So um, there's a way in which, you know, sorrow, trouble, heartache, persecution, uh, sober us up and remind us that uh, this can't be all that there is, right? That it's people that are in the deepest darkness that are better prepared to um, yeah, look upward as opposed to trying to look uh, around at their surroundings for joy. So in an interesting way, um, you know, I've been in Atlanta 13 years, and when I first moved here, uh, we moved to a, uh, or we lived in Buckhead in a wealthier, more well-to-do part of town. 
And then four years in, we moved uh, to the West End, and we've actually seen uh, that in some ways it's easier for us to talk about hope to people that are accustomed to tragedy and not being able to buy their way out of heartache. Interesting. And I wonder how many people are missing the gospel, the true gospel, because of the bright, shiny objects that are in the bucket, in the Buckheads, the Brentwoods, or the you know New York City's Manhattan, whatever, where people think this is what I aspire to, and it's a godly balance, isn't it, Uh, John? On the I mean, the idea that you want people to have goals and dreams, and and I don't think I mean God says be fruitful and multiply, so you don't start a business and hope that hope that it fails. I mean, you want it to do well. But then how do you keep your true spiritual vision when you are accomplishing right. things? And I think you said something so deep just a moment ago about the fact that those who have been acquainted with sorrow more than joy actually have hearts that are better prepared for hearing the true gospel, having it transformed their lives. But then what do we expect after that? Because I'm sure at that point, now here comes Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But right. what kind of hope do we live in then, knowing that your life has been so tethered to sorrow, John Onwuchekwa? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that the hope that we live in is um, once we step out of uh, imagining that our hope uh, is going to be found in relief from the bitterness in life, then we like start to notice all the subtle. Uh, uh, sweetnesses that God leaves behind, right? Yeah, it's kind of like coffee. So I love black coffee. And Amen. the reason why I love it, right, is because there's so many people that, that want to mask it with stuff, with cream, sugar, and all that, and that's fine. But I say, no, 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 no. If you just embrace the fact coffee by nature is bitter, right, and just... Mm-hmm don't try to run from it, but lean into it, then you get a chance to notice some of the subtle sweetnesses and flavors and all that stuff that you would throw away by trying to mask it uh, with sweetness. And I feel like life is the same way, that as soon as we step back and we say, no, 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 nothing in life is going to be all that we hoped that it would. Life is going to be like this cup of black coffee, and it is going to be bitter in ways that we didn't expect. But if we lean in it, then it's in that, it's in and through those hard times that we not notice the subtle sweetnesses that life has to offer, right? It's in and through struggling through the years of bitterness that may exist in a marriage that you become acquainted with the depth that both, uh, with the depth of the love that both partners have for each other, right? It's through, like my my wife and I, it's through, you know, 15 years of unexplained infertility uh, that as we've leaned into that and tr- try to trust God through that, that when the adoption of our daughter took place five years ago, we noticed and we can appreciate some of the subtle sweetnesses yes. of waking up in the middle of the night to cries which is an inconvenience to most, right. but it was a joy for us because it was a gift from God. And so I do Amen. think that you start to find um, that hope isn't based on your external surroundings, right? Mm-hmm. Hope's not based on what goes on uh, around you, but when your hope lies in the God that is above you, then in any and every 
situation that you find yourself in, you realize there's a reason to hope, right? Tragedy is not a dead end. It can often pave the way to new beginnings. Boy, that's powerful. A powerful reminder about where we look for hope and what our purpose is in life based on the hope that Christ has placed in our hearts as well. Pastor and author John Onwuchekwa is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His brand new book is called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barsh. Give it a pause for Movie Monday today because it is uh, Juneteenth, federal holiday. Uh, John Onwachekwa is my, uh, my guest today here on the program. We do have a couple copies of his book, We Go On, to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Again, we've got a couple of copies of this book, We Go On, to uh, give away to you here on The Bottom Line Show. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. So many people from every walk of life love this book and they love this resource. And if you've ever found yourself saying, hey, you know, what is the purpose of life? Can you imagine what it must have been like to come from a family that was in the slave trade or someone who had been part of the trade itself? and ask the question, well, what is the meaning of my my life? And the world will tell you, well, the meaning of life is to find those things in life that give you pleasure now and make you feel good now. The temporal things, the temporary things of life. Well, what if nothing makes you feel good? Then you're just angry and bitter and you pass it on to your kids. But the beauty of life in Christ is that we have a hope for forever and we can start living that forever hope now. And so as you are one of the people who call in for this fantastic book by John Onwachekwa, we go on. I mentioned we have two copies of the book for giveaway. Think about the struggles that people have been through in the past and the faith that helped them to see it through when it didn't look like the world had any permanent solutions to their temporal problems. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain on the network, part two of my conversation with John Onwachekwa as we talk more about Juneteenth coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Pastor John Onwuchekwa is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. John is the uh, pastor, the lead pastor of a historic church in uh, the Atlanta area, Cornerstone Church, uh, in one of Atlanta's oldest inner city neighborhoods. also serves on the council as an associate for the Gospel Coalition. He's the author of a brand new book called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John, I didn't mention, I mean, that there's artwork in this book that's very, very striking. And the use of black and white photography, I think, is of great importance. Talk about the reason for doing that. I mean, if you're trying to bring out the richness in life, and yet the photos are black and white. I mean, some people say, wait, man, where's the color? Talk about why you did that. It's a, uh, first of all, the book as a whole, um, I think, so many books are we're used to seeing a picture on the front and then black and white words throughout. And I wanted to invert that, right? Because grief has a way of turning things upside down and you find such rich treasures in unexpected places. So I wanted the book to feel like um, I wanted the book to come to life as folks read it. But I also chose, you know, the black and white, the gold, the 
sepia tone and all that because I wanted it to feel a little, uh, you know, vintage, aged, timeless. That I do think that the truth that's embodied, not just in that book, but in the book of Ecclesiastes is timeless and it's tested. And there's something about seeing black and white, beautiful photos, even if they're recent, that just kind of give it the aesthetic air of timelessness. And I just wanted that to to jump off of the page. It's very, very powerful. And as people are looking for hope in the midst of hopelessness, uh, trying to live intentionally and, and having more of a sense of purpose as opposed to then the purpose being for a lot of people, which is, okay, I'm in business, I want to make money. And if I'm making money, right. I want to make more money. Or if I, if we're parents and we've got a couple of kids, we want to have more kids or a bigger house or whatever. And oftentimes right. we start adopting the world's values and making right. them our own or even trying to Christianize them. And we go on, you talk about that not tethering yourself to temporary things, but to focus on the real deal. And yet this is a book that actually does look at themes like, you know, we talked about work and wealth and power. Uh, it also talks about social relationships and even the issue of justice. Ta take a, just a moment yeah. about how finding purpose and living intentionality can help us to really live out what God's plan is for an, an, an area like justice and social justice. When a lot of people think, okay, gosh, I got to look around. I got to find what everyone else is doing and I'll just keep, I'll throw my support behind that rather than saying, right. okay, what, how does God say deal with it? How do you address that in this book, Pastor John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this book, I, I talk about the, uh, what purpose does is it, it kind of fuels our tank, right? That when I'm advocating for is a patient endurance when it comes to working for justice. So on one hand, uh, we have to sober up and realize nothing in this world is going to be all that we hoped that it would be, even uh -huh. justice, right? Earthly justice is often distorted, as we've seen in our world, in the U.S., yes. in the wars, right? Uh, but what we also know is that God's perfect justice is often delayed. So God is just, and we know that one day he's going to make things right. But that Amen. day is not today. So what do we do in the meantime? I feel like we work towards it. And to be able to have the vision of earthly justice is constantly going to be distorted. It doesn't make us apathetic in our concern, but it helps uh, the bottom not to fall out when we work hard to pursue justice and things don't work out like we hoped that it would. It reminds us, no. This is the broken world that we live in. Don't lose heart. Keep on starting to go forward. And it's the future vision that, uh, yeah, like Dr. King says, you know, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. So even though it may take a lifetime, mm -hmm. we are those that know one day God's going to bring this tree to fruition. And we know that nobody sits in the shade of of oak trees that they plant. So mm. we plant these seeds of justice and we can spend our whole life working joyfully, never seeing change, but still dying contentedly because we know uh, that God is going to birth the tree of righteousness out of the seeds that we plant. Mm. 
Boy, that is such a powerful illustration, a great word picture of the fact. And yeah. knowing a guy who I worked with the ministry for many years who actually had a tree farm at one point and right. took over a, a farm where they actually did the cows and chickens and things, decided yeah. to plant some trees instead. And when his son asked him one day, he goes, Dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm planting your inheritance because they knew it was uh, going to take at least 40 to 50 years for that really to grow up and be able to to harvest that. And it would be a great crop when they were done, but he knew he'd never see it. And I, I talk yeah. about the, 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 the instant gratification mode that we're in, because a lot of people, as you talk about, say, an issue like justice, maybe I think pursuing using a temporary means to try to get a temporary goal instead of saying, look, God's justice is it, it's right, it's true, it's perfect, and it's eternal. So if you right. don't get the victory in court here, you don't get the law that way, or someone does you wrong for whatever reason, we as Christians should be able to take heart in knowing we can keep working toward God's ultimate goal, but realizing yeah. too that it may take a while to get there because of all the worldly distractions, the sin that's in the world, the brokenness that's in the world. Right. Yeah. No, no, I think that's it, right? That it's not like, yeah, yeah um, so, you know, Tragedy doesn't ruin communities. Tragedy doesn't ruin people. Hopelessness ruins people, mm. right? And I think what we need is not to have some guarantee that the work that we do is going to alleviate future injustices. Right. What we need is to be filled with the hope that, all right, even if we are constantly on the wrong side of injustice, we're not going to continue, or we're not going to stop fighting for it, right. and we're not going to continue to live with integrity as we fight, right? You think of First Samuel, the picture of King David over and over and over, who had plenty of opportunities to enact vengeance against Saul, an unjust king, right, and, right. and he kept on saying, now nah, I'm going to maintain my integrity. But he doesn't say, I'm just going to let him off the hook. Right. He sits back and says, no, vengeance is God's. God's going to take care of this. I'm still going to act justly and work for a more just kingdom, and I know that I don't have to take matters of vengeance into my own hands. That's God. I right. just keep working towards justice. Sure. And and toward that end, I mean, every now and again, we are going to find that we wind up cutting off a little bit of the garment, you know, while they're uh, you know, doing their business and right, saying, right. hey, hey, I just want to remind you, I was here. You know, you had your back to me and I had you, but God's got right. this and, and I'm going to be. So we witness and we testify to the fact that God's going to make something happen. This has been a great conversation. And I highly recommend this absolutely. book. Pastor John Onwood Chekwa has been my guest. The book is called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. John, take the last 60 seconds of our time together and talk about the difference between trying to find gratification in the moment and really finding purpose, regardless of whether we're facing sorrows right now or joys in this life. Yeah. So I think trying to find gratification for the moment is like trying to tread water in the middle of the ocean. It mm. may work for a short time, but mm -hmm. eventually your arms and legs aren't strong enough to hold you. Eventually you'll sink. But when we look for joy in something eternal, it's like trying to float in the Dead Sea. I, I'm a terrible <laughs> swimmer. I cannot mm -hmm. swim. Five years ago, I found myself 
in the Dead Sea and the concentration of salt in the water is so thick that an ain't that in a foot and a half of water, a guy like me that's 235 pounds can lay on his back and float. It is hmm. impossible to sink in the Dead Sea, right? It's not just that, like, because you aren't held up by your own strength. You're held up right. by something that's in the water. And when we find our joy and purpose in the Lord, our joy is not held up by our own strength. It's held up by something in the water, right? It's yeah. held up by our great God. And it's a different experience as we float through life. Wow. That couldn't have said it better in a perfect way for us to end our conversation today. Pastor John Anwu Chekwa has been my guest. We go on finding purpose in all of life's sorrows and joys is the book. It's up at the bottom line show.com. John, thanks so much for your time today with us here on the program. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Thank you. And that concludes my conversation with pastor, author, and entrepreneur, John Onwachekwa. Uh, today here on The Bottom Line, we've been talking about his outstanding book called We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and All of Life's Joys. We've got two copies of the book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you, you see these images, these black and white photos that are in the book, and then these passages from Ecclesiastes, and then these reflections from John on Wachequa, you can see why people are so taken with it, because it shows the, the temporariness of this life, and yet how the struggles and the stresses can make those burdens seem like they're never going away. And it, even when I think of some of the spirituals that came out of that time, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Well, you know, nobody but my Jesus, of course. But the, these pains, many of them are, are universal. And not that any of us know what it's like to live in the chains and whips and stockades world of America in its early foundations. But there are other things that happen, whether it's financial problems or chemical addictions or just racism and on the whole, that can really leave us scrambling. And it's nice to see Christians of all different backgrounds rallying around a project like this, but maybe helping us to understand on a deeper level how we can have conversations that aren't as contentious, where people in one ethnic tribe, if you will, can reach out to others in different ethnic tribes and say, we have a common faith but we're having these hardships. Will you stand in prayer with us? Will you be in solidarity with us? And not to go on a political rampage here, but rather just to say, how do we live the, the body of Christ? I mean, Jesus built bridges between young and old, men and women, all different races, creeds, and colors. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every tribe, Mark 16. So that's the Great Commission, and that's our command to go. Uh, and we go on in spite of the hardship. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line for this great book by John Onwachekwa called We Go On. As we continue, you know, June is the month when we get all the major decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court, and short of having a uh, uh, Roe versus Wade overturning like we had last year on the 24th, gosh, that's coming up this week, the one-year anniversary of the overturning, actually the passing of Dobbs versus Jackson, which effectively overturned Roe versus Wade. Um, there was a tight uh, decision that was handed down a week ago, didn't get a lot of headlines, but I think it's appropriate for us to explore on Juneteenth for reasons that I mentioned earlier with regard to how challenging it was for a lot of African-Americans in the Deep South 
to simply exercise the right to vote. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court basically um, <laughs> made a move to uphold a certain part of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. We'll tell you which part is still intact and why uh, cries from the left for the past decade about taking back your rights and, and ruining your democracy and everything like that might have been a bit premature. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to pastor and author John Onwachekwa for joining me today here on The Bottom Line uh, to talk about his book, We Go On, Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, as I mentioned earlier. We have two copies that we're giving away here for Juneteenth, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. And before we go any further, and I mean this most sincerely, I want to thank you for listening today. And I thank you for listening in spite of the fact that I've spent a lot of time on today's program talking about today's federal holiday. Now, if you know my family's story, obviously you know that Juneteenth carries a lot of weight with my wife and my in-laws and, and you know that part of the deal. But I have to admit, I, I kind of watched from afar. I mean, Lisa and I have known each other for five years, five six years now. I mean, we it, it wasn't all that long ago that I went, Juneteenth, that sounds kind of cool. What the heck is it with this holiday? Why is this so important to people? And then when you find out that it is a big deal, obviously because of the official end of slavery, for the most part, there's still a few slaves in the North and whatever, but I mean, June 19th, 1865 is generally recognized in the U.S. as the day slavery ended. So if you want to, I just call it a micro and macro, the macro independence for the United States is always going to be July 4th, 1776, the 13 colonies declaring themselves independent from the UK, from Great Britain. The micro, you know, the, 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 basically that's the set and the spike, if you will, in volleyball terms. The micro part came on June 19th, 1865, when the final slaves in Texas were informed that they were free not realizing that the Emancipation Proclamation that was written in 1862 in September and first given as an address by Abraham Lincoln on January 1st, 1863, for all intents and purposes, effectively ended slavery. And then the passage of the 13th Amendment, then the 14th Amendment, etc. But I just, I thank you for listening today, and I mean this sincerely, because this does not have to be as contentious a holiday as it has become for some people. Some on the far progressive left are saying it's Black Independence Day, baby. This is the only one that matters. And those on the hard right are, you know, hanging on to their, their flags and their Chevy trucks going, America, come on, wait, July 4th. 
I don't get it. And it's really a both and, not an either or. So we can acknowledge injustices that have happened in the past and we can celebrate the goodness of things that have happened uh, in the future. Give yourself a little bit of credit. Uh, Juneteenth did not become a state holiday in Texas till 1980, okay? It was recognized kind of informally and casually from 1866 on, but it took over 100 years before the Texas legislature finally passed a measure that said Juneteenth is now a Texas state holiday. But if you're wondering why, you know, so many people get bent out of this, I spent a lot of time a couple of years ago when the U.S. Supreme Court um, was accused of gutting the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 literally was implemented to level the playing field for precincts all over the country. There were many precincts of the Deep South that didn't have access to the resources. You know, a lot of the stuff you hear about where they'll say, you know, hey, in Mississippi, there's only one place of polling and they close at seven and there's lines for hours and hours and stuff like that. A lot of that is rhetoric from stuff that was happening in the 40s and 50s. It doesn't happen as often today, but the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was designed to make sure simple things like that you could get the resources to print out the ballots in time, you know, that they were that you could find enough workers to work the different uh, places that that people weren't asked these ridiculous questions. Remember in the movie Selma, I think Oprah Winfrey plays a, a woman who is in trying to vote and or either trying to register to vote or trying to vote. And they keep asking her all these really challenging <laughs> history questions that a woman of her background probably would not have been taught anyway. Quite frankly, I don't know a lot of people in our world today who would know that much about, you know, the Constitution and things like that. Whereas if we want to register to vote, are you 18? Yeah. Can you prove it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to pick a party? Because we'll pick Democrat for you if you won't. And uh, boom, you want to drive? You want to get a driver's license in California? You need a, to vote first. But there was a case, I mean, there have been several cases over the years where a lot of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 has been struck down, quite frankly, because they're not necessary anymore. We've, it's been years since there's been a complaint about we didn't get the ballots printed in time or they didn't fit right or whatever. And, and so it's actually, uh, it's been nice to see how much of the Voting Rights Act has been taken down, not because activist judges and crazy conservatives are trying to deny black people the right to vote, but rather because it's like, hey, guys, can we take a step back and look around and say, we're getting it. We don't have these problems. I mean, we're not having nearly the problems that we had before, so we don't have to keep putting the training wheels on. Well, a case came up in Alabama and it was basically a challenge to a 1986 court ruling that determined how legislative districts must be drawn under the Voting Rights Act that was amended in 1982 and ruled upon in 1986. In Alabama, there are seven congressional districts. And there are seven congressional seats in one of them where one in four voters, oh, excuse me, one in four voters is black. And so basically what you had here was you've had one district that was had a preponderance of African-Americans who would vote and the chance of someone getting elected from there was African-American was very strong. But then the way the district lines were drawn, unless you told everybody to go move into different districts, you really didn't have a shot at having a majority African-American deal. I mean, I guess the one way to say it, there was a, this happened in San Diego recently. I was talking to a, a lawyer in that area. And there are a couple of 
very, very strong uh, groups of, uh, I believe they're Iranian immigrants, um, they're former Muslims who have migrated to part of San Diego and they make up the majority in two congressional districts there. And they're trying to redraw the districts and put them all into one to basically knock one of their voices out. And they've, t they've gone to court saying, look, you can't redraw this thing you know, to where it is. You know, kids do that all the time. You know, when two brothers are sharing a room and they decide they have an argument, which they invariably do, and they want to share the room. So one of them draws the line so that he gets three-fourths of the room and his younger brother only gets a fourth. That's, that happens in the voting world all the time. So in Alabama, there's been a challenge for years to say, how do we get a little more parity here? Because if the population is at least 24% African-American, why is it that we could only get one of these uh, districts that where the African-American vote has a fighting chance? In a coalition of conservative and liberal judges, they reaffirmed a 1986 precedent interpreting how the lines can be drawn. In other words, they upheld that part of the Voting Rights Act. It was a five to four vote. Now you're probably wondering, well, which are the conservatives that voted in favor and which are the ones who voted against? John Roberts voted with the liberals, so that's not a surprise, but which conservative justice voted in favor of effectively forcing Alabama to create a second majority black district? We'll tell you who coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We've been talking about all things Juneteenth and also God working in mysterious ways. My thanks to author Lori Pulich Short for joining me to talk about her brand new book and also John Anwachekwa, uh, We Go On, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, some surprising news out of the Supreme Court uh, here in June has been kind of a quiet month here. But it's interesting, UCLA law professor Richard Hazen has written extensively about election law and in the, uh, he gave an interview to NPR and he said, uh, given the court's recent record on the Voting Rights Act, this is a welcome and surprising decision. The issue of the case was Alabama's congressional redistricting plan was adopted after the 2020 census. The Republican-led legislature drew near new district lines that packed large numbers of black voters into one congressional district and then spread out the remaining black population in other districts so black voters basically didn't have a chance of saying, let's see if we can get another African-American you know, uh, representative in here. The three-judge district panel uh, found that this legislature's uh, plan was illegal racial gerrymandering. Uh, the Supreme Court then agreed 
Um, and by the way, the panel that originally got this thing to the Supreme Court, two of the three justices were appointed by Donald Trump. According to the Chief Justice, John Roberts, we see no reason to disturb the district court's careful findings. The Alabama legislature's approach to redistricting was, quote, an attempt to remake our jurisprudence anew and was wrong in both theory and in practice. So now it remains to be seen what will happen in the 2024 election, but at least it levels the playing field. Remember, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to kind of fall by the wayside, it's because they were no longer necessary to have those guardrails in place. This is one place where the guardrails needed to be reinstated and the Supreme Court uh, justices ruled five to four that the new uh, redistricting laws in Alabama actually were hearkening back to the old rules and they wanted to make sure that they, uh, the Voting Rights Act stuff stayed in place. So see, the system worked. How cool is that? Oh, by the way, I mentioned I was going to tell you who the justices were. Three liberal justices voted uh, basically uh, in favor of, uh, the, you know, upholding the law. And of course, that's Katanji Brown-Jackson, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, and uh, Elena Kagan. Uh, but then when it came to the conservative side, voting in favor of, uh, or uh, voting against this whole passage was Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas. So that means it was Brett Kavanaugh who cast the deciding vote and uh, gave the African-American community in Alabama a fighting chance of getting a second district. I think that's cool. I think that's the way the system is supposed to work. And I think we as Christians can have conversations about that. It does not threaten our citizenship. It doesn't threaten anybody's quote unquote majority status. Because remember, those who are trying to seek power was that they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. But at the end of the day, the power that we have, remember, the words of Jesus to Pilate are actually geared at us too. Any power that we have comes to us from on high. It comes from our Heavenly Father. We can't do any of this on our own. It's only because of Him. All we can do is be instruments of peace and grace and kindness and mercy and love and justice and fairness. That is good news. And that's the bottom line. 